I think that hymn actually captures uh, very well the content of our faith as we think about the words of Jude uh, that we're studying now, the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. What is that faith? That hymn, I think, beautifully uh, captures uh, the substance of that faith. We are in the book of Jude. I'll invite you to turn to Jude. It's only one chapter, of course, as you know, so we are in the third verse as we continue to work our way through this uh, small but powerful book. It is among the shortest, of course, in the New Testament and in the entire Bible, and yet it packs, as we've read it, a powerful punch as it describes the need for all believers to stand their ground in contending for the truth and the faith that God has communicated to us in his word. In that case, it is a book for all ages and all times for every believer, whether young or old, whether new believers or believers who have walked with Christ for many years. To all of those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, this book is for you and for me. We've already seen in our study how Jude, the son of Joseph and Mary and half-brother of our Lord Jesus, began his letter to these believers, giving them reasons to rejoice in God's great salvation for them, for all who believe in Jesus Christ. You remember, if you look again at verse 1, those wonderful terms he uses, which is the cause of our rejoicing. Those who are called, those who are beloved by God the Father, and who are kept for the Lord Jesus Christ. Those three statements are reason enough for you and I daily to rejoice because we are called of God, beloved of him, and kept for Jesus Christ. And to add to that reason for rejoicing, he prays for them the superabundant blessings that he prays that God would give to them mercy and peace in love. May they all be multiplied to you, and indeed they are in Jesus Christ. These, again, are wonderful, wonderful reasons for which we ought to rejoice. And I trust that you are learning as we continue in this study to more and more rejoice every day as you consider all that is yours in Jesus Christ. But in Jude, there's a sudden urgency, isn't there? There's an urgency that Jude now senses as he sits down to write, probably caused by news that someone brought to him regarding the great danger confronting the broader church. This is a Catholic or universal letter. It's a letter that was distributed among the churches. It's a letter that was intended to be a reminder of our common salvation in Christ, but suddenly turned into a call to def defend the truth in the face of false teachers who have crept in among them. And this urgency was valid because of what Jude says was at stake. What is it? It's the faith, he says, once for all, delivered to the saints. The very reasons for their rejoicing, their common salvation, is now in danger of being undermined and distorted, and he calls them to defend this noble cause. The question before us this morning is, what is this faith once for all delivered to the saints? Surely those who are called to contend for something, to fight for something, to use all of their energies for something, should understand what they're contending for. And that is the hope that I trust the Lord will give us understanding this morning into this 
idea. Please stand then as we read just these brief first four verses. God's word reminding us of where we have been and what we'll be looking at this morning, Jude 1 through 4. This is God's word. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and who deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. All flesh is as the grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Our Father, there is a timelessness to these words. They were not merely written by Jude for the people to whom he was writing, but they were written to us as well. In our day and age, there are great battles raging all around us for this faith once for all delivered to the saints. Help us to be faithful in contending for it, even as we continue to rejoice in all that is ours in him. We pray your blessing now upon the word preached and heard and received as the very word of God, that you would bless it to our mutual growth, encouragement in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I think there is no question. It's not maybe years ago we would have had to make the case a little more and defend it a little more, but I don't think we need to today when I say that we live in a relativistic age. It has rightly been called a modern, postmodern, post-Christian age. Those who study these things understand the trajectory of these things and what they mean, but we are living in such an age, postmodern, anti-Christian, post-Christian age, where man does not readily hold on to or embrace the notion that there is anything at all that can be defined as truth, truth for all people, for all time. Truth itself in our day and age, you see it, you hear it everywhere you turn and in the conversations that you have. Truth itself is relativistic. Your truth is going to be different than my truth and it will be our own experiences that will determine what is true for you as it will be the same for me. Now this is not a new thing, of course. It's been all along since the very beginning of creation. In Adam and Eve, in the very garden, truth became relativistic to them as well as Satan tempted them and led them astray. It's seen in many places in the Bible. One place that I'm reminded of is when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate as he was being led to his crucifixion. You see and you get a sense of how even today postmodern man thinks in John 18, we're told, Pilate said to Jesus, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? 
And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. What is truth? Who can know the truth? Can anyone really claim to know it? Does it even matter at all? Ligonier has done for several years a number of surveys. And in their 2021 surveys among evangelicals, they write this, we live in a time of great theological confusion. According to their study, the latest state of theology survey, this is again back in 2021, 30% of professing evangelicals reject the deity of Christ. 46% of people are good by, say that people are good by nature. And 22% think that gender identity is a matter of personal choice, of truth that they've accepted and that they've believed. Now, to all of these questions, to this very culture to wit, into which we find ourselves, Jude declares without hesitation that there is a faith, there is a truth, a body of truth that is worth defending and protecting and, of course, in believing. And so this morning, as we look at this great uh, sentence here, this great phrase, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, I want to look at it under three headings. First of all, when Jude calls it the faith here, I want to look at a truth that is delivered. Secondly, a truth that has content, that's very important. And thirdly, a truth that matters. First, look at me with me at the verses. It says that this faith was once for all delivered to the saints. It is a truth that is and was delivered. Now, the immediate question is, delivered by whom? Who delivered it? Well, God did. God delivered it. He delivered it by the Holy Spirit inspiring men of old, as Second Peter 1 tells us. Peter writes in that wonderful, very important passage, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then he says these words, we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, that first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The truth, the faith, is a truth delivered by God. It was received by the apostles and then delivered unto others. And the truth that the apostles received was the truth of God's holy word, the very Old Testament scriptures from which we read this morning. All of it, the revelation of God, the truth which he delivered unto mankind. And that truth was received by the, holy, or by the apostles through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, received again by and from God. Now, this is important because it tells us that these things of which we speak are not created by us. They're not invented by creative individuals. It was handed down by Jesus to his apostles, who in the New Testament made a full and authoritative revelation of the facts and the truth to the church and to the world. It was a truth delivered. Paul writes to the Ephesians, in a similar way, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the chief cornerstone. It is not something that has evolved over time. It was delivered by God, proclaimed by Jesus Christ in his own life, in his own teachings, as we have them in the Gospels. It was carried by the Spirit through the apostles as they taught that faith, that truth in all of their writings. And its authority is then based not upon man's reception of that truth, but upon the fact that God speaks and reveals and entrusts to his church that truth which is binding upon all men in all times. When we think of the canon of scripture, the 66 books of the Bible that we recognize and receive as the very word of God, that is how it came to be. Not man picking and choosing and deciding on his own what is the word of God and what is not, but God himself delivering, entrusting this to the church and the church receiving it as given by God, this faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so we live in a world where it says that there are many different truths. Pick your truth, follow it, live it to your own pleasure, to your own enjoyment. But here Jude is speaking of the faith what Francis Schaeffer called true truth, true truth. It is what Jude is calling believers to contend for. And you see it all throughout the writings of the New Testament and how each apostle who writes calls the people to contend for that truth. Because in all of the church in these days and in ours, there are people who will creep in people who will creep into the church as wolves in sheep's clothing. And so Jesus warned of it. Paul warned of it. Peter warned of it. Jude warned of it. James warned of it. And their aim and goal as they creep in is to destroy the truth. To Titus, Paul writes this, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and of their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word, delivered in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, and then he goes on to speak as to what Titus ought to do as the pastor of this church in Crete and how he is to train men, elders, whom God will call. 
And one of the qualifications of those elders is that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. There's a call to contend for the faith once for all delivered unto the saints of which Paul became a preacher and which Titus now is a preacher who is to call and set apart men who are to defend and contend for that faith. There's a battle. We know there's a battle that's going on even now as we live in the 21st century. And it's a battle that we're all called to engage in. It is a battle for the truth. Not just pastors, not just elders, but every Christian, Jude says, to all the saints together to contend for, to defend the truth. Now, this leads, of course, to my second point. It is a truth that has content. Now, that may sound strange. All truth would have content, we would assume. But my contention is because today there is no true truth anymore in people's minds. It is devoid and emptied of any content, except we ourselves, what we ourselves put into it. But this faith, this truth has content and substance. It is a body of truth. For that reason, every commentator that I have read on these verses acknowledges that what Jude has in mind is not faith as a verb, the act of believing, which is the work of a sovereign God in the hearts of sinners transformed by his grace. Out of that transformation comes faith to believe. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is a body of truth, doctrine, teaching that has been communicated, delivered by God to his church, and that what we are to hold on to, to contend for, we are unmistakably talking of things that are the truth of God, which brings life and apart from which there is no life. And so... What is that? How we would define it? Well, one way to define it very easily is that it is simply called the gospel or the good news delivered by God to his church. The gospel and everything related to that which leads to life in Jesus Christ. The essential truths of the gospel delivered by God in Christ. That message is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so when we think of other things that we often debate on and discuss, eschatology, what will the end of time look like? Not the question of whether Jesus will come at the end. That's a truth that we must adhere to. But what what will it look like exactly? Eschatology is part of those things that we can differ on. Sacraments and our understanding of the sacraments. Calvin, Luther, Zwingli debated on these very issues, and yet all of them were true believers. Baptism between Presbyterians and Baptists, for instance, how do we understand it? We can differ on those things. Christian liberty allows the conscience to be set free from the commandments of men as long as we live in accord with the scriptures regarding those things. 
These are important secondary items, but they are not things which affect a person's salvation. What we are speaking of here is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer, very clever, I think, because he uses another word for truth or for the faith, that is the word doctrine, creates an acronym. And in this acronym, with doctrine going down the one side, each letter standing for something, he lists these as part of what the faith is in Jude, the deity of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ original sin, the canon of scripture, trinity, resurrection, incarnation, new creation, and eschatology with respect to the fact that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Now, this is the substance of which the Bible speaks. When Paul writes and other writers write about this faith again, once for all delivered unto the saints, Perhaps you'll remember the words just read earlier from 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered, he says, unto you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve that he appeared to others, more than 500 at one time, most of whom are all still alive, though some have fallen asleep. John writes in Second John, another very short book, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Again, to Timothy, Paul writes, We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now that is a very important passage because it tells us, as we'll note later, that this is not merely about doctrines in the ethereal, out there sense that we read on paper, but this is doctrine and practice, doctrine and life together. And we understand that's what's happening in Jude, right? Look at verse 4 of Jude, the passage that we've read but haven't looked at yet. What is his concern? There are ungodly people who are perverting the grace of God into sensuality and who are denying our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. To the Galatians, Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ And you are turning to a different gospel, a different gospel that has different doctrines, different truths that are rooted in it, leading men to all kinds of immorality and sexuality and a denial of the truth of God in Jesus Christ. Paul famously says there, if even an angel were to come to you and preach another gospel, then the gospel, the faith that I have delivered unto you, let him be anathema. 
let him be anathema. In John 14, Jesus told us very simply, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. This faith, once for all delivered unto the saints, is rooted and grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what was being distorted. That was being threatened to be destroyed by these false teachers. Paul says famously in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. I won't read it, but we do uh, almost every month, at least twice, we read from the creeds in the evening, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. We use our own creed as we rehearse and go through those doctrines which are to be believed. You go through the Apostles' Creed, you have a summary of the faith that is once for all delivered unto the saints. And so one writer says this about this faith, this faith that has content and substance A Christian is not simply someone who lives a certain way. A Christian is someone who believes certain things. The faith affirms that certain events really happened, like the creation of the universe out of nothing and the resurrection of Jesus. It affirms that certain statements are really true, such as Jesus is Lord, the Lord is one, and all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. And it affirms that certain events really will take place, like the judgment of the wicked and the resurrection of the body. The faith, once for all, delivered unto the saints, is substantive, it has content to it, content that has been delivered by God and received by his people. The third point, then, is this simple one. If those are true, if God spoke and delivered the truth, the faith that Jude speaks of, if it has content which is beyond argument because it is from God and it is true truth, then this truth is a truth that matters. It matters what we believe It matters what we hold to and what we build our lives upon. It matters because it's not shaking and shifting sand. It's the solid and clear foundation of the very word and revelation of God. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy again in 1 Timothy 4 regarding those who teach false doctrines, etc., If you put these things before the brothers, this truth, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for with bodily training, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, And holds promise for this life and for the life to come. Command that these things be taught. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set among believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then devote yourself to the public reading of scripture 
to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may all may see your progress and keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now that last phrase should give us some sense of why Jude says what he says. Contend for the faith. Contend earnestly for it. Why? Because we keep a close watch on ourselves as we give ourselves to this truth. And when we do, it is for our salvation and for the salvation of those who hear us. We're referring here about life and death. That's why Jude says what he says. This is about life and death. This is no small matter for Jude. This is about that which will either lead to life everlasting or death and punishment in hell forever. And that means that this truth that God has delivered, which has substance and content, is in fact life-giving. And apart from it, there is no life. It is for the salvation of sinners that we must fight to contend for the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. It is for ourselves that we cling to this truth. Matthew Henry, it is the faith once or at once delivered to the saints to which nothing can be added, from which nothing can be detracted, in which nothing more nor less should be altered. Here let us abide because here we are safe. If we stir a step further, we are in danger of being either entangled or seduced. This is a dangerous thing, isn't it? You just read the rest of Jude and you understand how dangerous it is. Read verses 17 through 23 or 22 and you see the danger involved, the battle and the fight that we're dealing with because the truth is always assailed by the enemy and there are false teachers always abounding who will seek to undermine and distort the truth. But as we've said earlier, we need to say as we close that it's not just the doctrines we believe, but it's the life that we live. We contend for the faith once for all delivered unto the saints in word and in action. By our lives, we give testimony that we are Christ's. We'll see that again as we study later verse 4. We're going to take a break for the Advent season and return to this in the new year. But we do and we will see how important these two things, doctrine and life, go together. We marvel today that in places which call themselves churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are people who openly live in lifestyles that are contrary to God's word. But that is what is to be expected. Because once you depart from the faith, once for all delivered unto the saints, once you abandon the truth of God delivered by him, containing substance and truth that matters, then everything else goes out the window. 
Look at the history of the mainline churches in our own nation. The old Presbyterian church from which the PCA uh, came out of and was formed because the gold in that denomination had so much dimmed over the years. They rejected first the faith once for all delivered to the saints, which led to all kinds of horrendous, ungodly actions, sensuality, and all kinds of behavior to this day. We live in New Jersey, the home of Princeton Seminary. Read the history of Princeton Seminary, the two volumes by David Calhoun, and understand the rich heritage of that institution and the men who served there like Edwards and Alexander, Hodge and Warfield. And you will shake your head and wonder, how is it that such a glorious institution that God had raised up with faithful men now does what it does today because they have abandoned the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. That's where it begins. As they abandon the true truth delivered by God, it is no surprise what we see happening all around us. But it's true, as we've noted, of individuals as well. To contend for that faith is difficult. It's dangerous. There is risk involved. There are relationships that will be impacted when we take a stand against these things. We simply need to remember again what Jude will shortly tell us. Our denomination over the years has fought its battles. We have seen her contend for the faith, to stand for the truth in many ways. I think of my own time in the PCA since 1996 when I entered this denomination. I think of the great battle for several years over the doctrine of justification, which is part of this content of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I remember the battles, the books being written on all sides, and I remember our denomination standing firm and faithfully in the truth and the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. I remember for several years fighting the battle of missions, more of a practical thing, right? Practical, how do we do missions? But the whole insider movement that was affecting the larger church where people were saying that an insider in the Muslim faith, for instance, can be a person from this non-Christian background who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but who has retained their socio and religious identity of his or her birth. In other words, you can be a Christian and a Muslim at the same time, practicing both side by side. That insider movement threatened the very life of missions. And I remember our denomination wonderfully through many people that God raised up, standing firm against that from within our own denomination and winning the day and standing on the truth of God's word. We're in a battle now, as we say, we're in a current controversy that came in, out and started within our own denomination in Revoice in 2018. That battle is raging even as we speak. I'm grateful that yesterday our presbytery contended earnestly for the faith once for all delivered unto the saints when we approved, thankfully, the BCO amendment that was put forth by our General Assembly where we said, no, we cannot stand in this line anymore. The scriptures forbid a person to identify themselves by their sin, 
as a whatever Christian, homosexual Christian, gay Christian, a thieving Christian, an adulterous Christian, and none of it makes sense. But for us to stake a stand as a, as a presbytery, pray that God would bless that throughout our denomination and that next year's General Assembly, should it be approved within our presbyteries, would stand and contend for the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. This is hard work. It's not for the faint of heart. But brothers and sisters, you are called to stand where you are as much as we as ministers and elders are called to stand where we are. Memorial PCA was the start of it all. It's a, it's a church in St. Louis. Its pastor has taught these things, has spread these things throughout our denomination. This past Friday, they voted as a church to leave our denomination. You ought to read that letter. You ought to read it because it's filled with things that are misrepresenting the truth of all that has happened. One writer says this about their departure. The memorial session was right to recommend that they withdraw from the Presbyterian Church in America. While we are a denomination of wretched sinners of whom I am the worst, we are not a home for Revoice's version of Christianity or Memorial PCA's variety of Christian outreach. The PCA was founded 50 years ago upon the inspired, authoritative, and efficacious truth of the Holy Scriptures and the faithful summary of doctrine set forth in the Westminster Standards. In order to cultivate a healthy, reformed, and confessional denomination in the future, we must hold fast to our biblical and confessional commitments. Moreover, we must not, for the sake of mission or anything else, accommodate the culture on the issues of human sexuality and identity. Rather, we must rededicate ourselves to the faithful proclamation of the gospel through the ordinary means of grace, the gospel which is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Pray for your denomination. We're part of it. Pray for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for yourselves that together we may stand and contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. Let us pray. Father, the battles rage in our day as much as they did in Jude's day. And so we would pray for the same urgency that Jude expressed in this letter. For these are matters of truth that really do matter. These are issues of life and death. And we would be found, we pray, in our local church, in our individual lives, in our denomination, in our church, faithful to these things as men and women, as young people, wherever we find ourselves contending earnestly and faithfully for that faith that you have once for all delivered unto us. And so be gracious to us. Give us great strength and courage in our day. And remind us that in this truth and in this faith, we rejoice. For in it, we have life in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Amen.